Thank you for um, the word of God that's among us. Uh, Father, you have a, an amazing management of our lives. Your providence, the way you organize our lives, is uh, perfectly designed and it's underway right now. And the words that are planned that I have to share and the words that are unplanned are all under your uh, supervision. Uh, Father, give us grace to hear. Mind, help us be mindful of the great wonder of the gospel. Fill our hearts with new uh, astonishment. And uh, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, there are... Uh, all the books in the Bible are important. Uh, I should say that. Um, but if for some reason you skip a minor prophet, uh, well, maybe I should be careful because this is being recorded. But um, I, I think it, God will bless every aspect of his word. Um, but there are some books in the Bible that are really, really vitally important. Um, and the book of Galatians is, is one of those. Um, and I'm reminded, as I share with you this morning, that uh, a couple of things about the gospel, the gospel. Now, already in our songs, we've had a big emphasis on the gospel. We've already had a big emphasis on the gospel in our prayer of confession. Uh, the words that came from Galatians 1 of, of the pardon, of the, the good news of the resurrected Jesus, God the Father, His will was for your salvation. Already we've heard gospel words, but I am standing here aware that um, it would not surprise me that there would be uh, some today who, who do not understand the gospel. And I want to illustrate this by sharing with you that I was on staff at a very large church in Michigan. And I was part of actually three graduates from seminary who uh, actually ended up at the same church. Interesting how God's providence worked in that way. And so it was a large church, multiple staff. And so I was right next door to the children's uh, worker, children's director, very fun person. Uh, she had parakeets in her office, and on Sunday mornings, children would come uh, and go visit. There'd be just place would be packed out because she had all these pets in her office, kind of fun to go visit her. And about six months after uh, I had arrived there in Michigan, she, uh, she turned to me and she said this. She said, you know, you, and then she referred to the other guys who came up from my seminary. She, she said, you and, the, you and the, these other guys, uh, you guys refer to the gospel. You guys talk about the gospel. She said that. She said, you guys talk about the gospel. And I said, yeah, we do. We talk about the gospel. And she said, isn't that what the TV guys, TV preachers talk about that? And I said, yeah, I guess they do, yeah. Uh, and I, I was trying to process this, and she said, and then she kind of moved on to another subject, you know. It's interesting. You guys talk about the gospel. And, and the unspoken was, here she is, full-time children's staff worker at a, at a church that teaches the gospel. The unspoken was, what is the the gospel. Uh, she was the daughter of the one of the 
I guess he was president of the denomination, something like that, some term. In other words, a big mucky muck in the denomination. And uh, she asked me, you guys talk about the gospel. And she did ask, what do you mean by that? And so myself and another gentleman, we began to converse with her and talk with her about the gospel. And to uh, just the great joy of this moment right now, I get, get to share with you that she, at a staff retreat in northern Michigan, she went off into the woods and she, of her own accord, God working through uh, various means, obviously his word, um, she, she turned and she trusted Christ as her savior. Uh, so here she is, a, a professional religious worker, unaware of what the gospel means, right? And as often as I have been doing this, and I hope that every Sunday you find the gospel here, um, I am impressed with how much I need the gospel and how much we all need the gospel. And... Uh, as I'm listening to uh, people in the church talk, not, not anyone here, but just in general, our conversations in the church, we tend to be using terms, using words, but we're really not, we're not really sure what these words mean. So I want to encourage you to, to receive the book of Galatians as this continuing argument uh, upon argument upon argument to make sure the gospel is clear. The gospel is clear. Uh, and this takes, this takes work. Uh, and we have this morning uh, the Apostle Paul, who is looking at a region of the world called Galatia, which we call modern-day Turkey today, where uh, he had been involved in planting churches, and his mis first missionary journey brought him up to the southern region of Galatia, and he is writing to the Galatians, and he is deeply troubled about something that's happened. They have departed, verse 6 of chapter 1, they have departed from the gospel. And uh, it is extremely difficult uh, for us to, as believers, to hang on to the gospel. The gospel can be replaced by other gospels, uh, small g, other systems of salvation very, very easily. So I want to commend this book to you. Uh, I want you to, we'll be giving you various articles to read. Uh, we cannot hear the gospel too much and begin the process of, of, of searching out its implications for our lives. Um, more often than not, you, you might gather on a Sunday morning and in your mind, you're sort of saying, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. And your, your understanding of the gospel may be sufficient for you. But actually, how you live it out, how it connects with your day-to-day -day world, is that's where the, an insufficient understanding of the gospel is actually being applied. So in a Sunday morning session, Sunday morning gathering, you might feel, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've got it. But it's actually the much more difficult work of applying the gospel in, in the many, many areas of our lives. So I want to commend this to you. So um, we just had the, the gospel, uh, uh, according to Galatians, uh, read to you, at least the first, first ten verses. 
Uh, you sort of get the flow of it. Um, Paul is emphasizing his apostleship. You can get that in verse 1. Uh, he says up front, Paul and apostle. First three words. Uh, what do you think the Galatians have a problem with? Uh, his authority. <laughs> um, others have come along, we'll talk about them, who have begun to undermine Paul's authority. So Paul, an apostle. An apostle literally means sent one, authorized to communicate, to plant churches, to communicate on behalf of the risen Jesus. And Paul had been given this sacred deposit of the, of the gospel. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. Notice that phrase. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, so that's, that's his authorization, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. That's his opening, opening uh, remarks. And then look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, a typical way an epistle starts, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, here's the gospel, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's an opening salutation, an opening benediction, blessing for uh, the Galatians. Um, it's, it's one of the shorter ones in the, in the New Testament, by the way, uh, because Paul wants to get on with his concerns for them, but he is gracious and kind to them, recognizing the grace of God that um, uh, has brought them, uh, those who are genuinely trusting in Christ, has brought them to that place. So Paul is being accused of something that might strike us very strange. We think of Paul as this strong... Um, sort of uh, just able to, to do this incredibly difficult task, um, and he's not swayed by the opinions of people. He comes into very difficult situations, and he preaches the gospel. Well, Paul is actually being accused of being a man-pleaser. Um, and the argument kind of goes like this. You know, it's really, really hard to really tell people what's required to be accepted by God. Of course, Jesus is important, it's really, really hard, for instance, to tell Gentiles that they need to be circumcised. So what Paul's done in his gospel is he's left this out because it's hard to convince people that this is important. You see, he's a, he's a compromiser of the gospel. He's a man-pleaser. See, when he gets in front of a crowd of Gentiles, he, he, he adjusts, the, he adjusts his, his message. Now, does that sound strange? That sounds pretty strange. But uh, this was actually getting some traction, uh, and the Galatians were buying into it. It's called the Galatian heresy. Uh, the Galatian heresy is really simple. Jesus is important, but circumcision really makes you acceptable to God. Imagine. Uh, it's just one additional thing. Uh, and then, of course, there were other Mosaic laws and other aspects of this that these kinds of teachers wanted uh, the Galatians to embrace, uh, but this was the bare minimum. And so anytime you have Jesus plus something, you have lost the gospel. And there's a great temptation for us in the church uh, to continue to sort of add something. We're very subtle about it. And uh, so this is Paul's concern and his, his he's, well, he's, he's shocked that the Galatians have so quickly departed from 
the gospel. And part of the strategy was to, to convince the Galatians that Paul was actually a compromiser, that he was afraid that he had changed his gospel. But notice verse 1 of uh, chapter 1, not from men nor through man, uh, and I'm not seeking the approval of man. Verse 10, look at verse 10. And so if he was still trying to please man, he would not be a servant of God. Okay, so that's sort of the first thing, uh, that Paul's apostleship is intact and it is from God, and he has not compromised the gospel, and he will make a convincing case of this in the book of Galatians. But secondly, just getting us started, the uniqueness of the gospel is already described for us in the resurrection of Christ, in the the deliverance that's found in Christ that we've been delivered from our sins. The first sentence, the Father raised the Son from the dead, verse 1, verse 3, to deliver us from this present evil age. Notice the heavy lifting is done by God. Uh, In the gospel, we have God's action. We have the central work of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, something we're watching, something that's done on our behalf. So God's action toward us, for us, is in the resurrection of his son. We call this the good news because it is rooted in the action of God. It's rooted in what God does for us. So I want to just pause right here and sort of let's apply this to our lives. And that is when you think about about what Christianity is, it's right here. If you are thinking in terms of, well, it's moral instructions, it's about a moral life, improving your life, that's not Christianity. It certainly leads to uh, moral change in an individual, but the core of the Christian faith is the action of God, and you receive that action by faith alone, and it may feel sort of strange, like, how can, how can that be enough? How can faith alone be enough? Shouldn't I do something? And don't minimize how powerful uh, this faith can be when the heart is alive with love to God. And so the gospel is this unique, uh, non-religious thing. It's watching the action of God for us. And then, of course, it has many, many applications to our lives. But that's going to follow the receiving of God's action uh, on our behalf. So the whole work of God, the death on the cross and the resurrection, is the good news. Now, what have the Galatians done? Look at verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the if you would like to underline your Bible, if you called you in the grace of Christ, there it is. That's the sheer grace of Christ, the only the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. And Paul clarifies that there really isn't another gospel, but there are some that are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ, verse 7. And these are this unusual group of people who would follow the apostle Paul And they were sort of this strange Jewish-Christian group. And some think that they were actually from Jerusalem and they were part of this sect called, or a a party called the Pharisee Party. There's actually a 
a group within the church called the Pharisees. I don't know why they hung on to that name. It doesn't sound like a good name to me. And, and they would follow the Apostle Paul, and they were very concerned that Gentiles would m- have moral conformity to the Mosaic Law. And uh, so they come along, and they have this message of circumcision makes you fully accepted by, by God. They're called Judaizers. And Paul is going after this heresy. And so we should pause right here and say, wow, I, I might look at maybe there's a, a group that you know that adds something like this, is legalistic like this. Would you actually call it heretical? Uh, according to Galatians, adding something to Jesus is a heresy. And it could rob us of the gospel and the gospel's joy. Now, what you have here is sort of this uncomfortable moment in the book of Galatians because, okay, all right, Paul, you got our attention. I get it. All right. Um, but then he sort of steps it up. Like, as if it's like, look, I want you to make it, I'm going to make it really clear. This is just not my opinion. And I'm just not, I woke up cranky. And I just don't like you guys this morning. And uh, <laughs> he, he doubles down on this. And he actually presents a double curse. And he even puts himself in it and says, look, maybe I'm going to go haywire here. Maybe I'm going to lose it. And maybe I'm going to come back and I'm going to actually preach a false gospel myself. Look, I've got to get your attention. And look at verse 7. Not that there's another one, but, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's the first cursing. Now here's the next one. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Everybody got the message? Twice he wants to make sure that 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 action of false preaching that, that one who stands as if they have a authority to say this to people and they are preaching a false gospel. And it's, very un, it's sort of uncomfortable for us in our, in our day and age where we have the, such a sharp you know, judgment about uh, evil. And Paul says, let him be accursed. Such is the, the stakes, such seriousness is a, to accompany are attending to God's, God's word. Now, let me share with you some insights. Why would it be so serious? Why would it be so serious? Because we, we kind of live in a very pluralistic age, lots of ideas out there. Um, I, I, see, I see lots of, you know, a lot of, lot of different isms and faiths and um, religions. And um, why is this so important why does Paul double down on this idea? And I, I want to encourage you in this way. The gospel is about many things, but one thing that's central to it is your conscience. Now, I'm standing before you as a minister of the gospel this morning, and I am only authorized to deal with your conscience in accord with the word of God. 
you don't want to mess with my opinion. You don't want my opinion. It's not worth a, a dollar or a penny. It's not worth anything, my opinion. So in fact, you should be protected from my opinion. Somebody, give me an amen, someone. All right, thank you. Thank you, Nathaniel. You need to be protected from an opinion that is not at all rooted in Scripture. And your conscience is a very fragile and important part of you, of your life, of who you are. In fact, to bind someone's conscience is not funny. To presume to give someone another standard apart from Scripture to move into the realm of opinion and to bind someone's conscience is it's, it's, it's a big-time foul ball. Big time. Now, here's one of the key reasons why Paul is, is saying these things, the double curse. When someone comes along and presents works righteousness, that's what you may have heard that phrase, works righteousness. Okay, when someone comes along and says that and, and presents that, Jesus plus this, and we could sort of get into some of the churchy things that are kind of sort of soft legalisms within the church. But when someone comes along and presents works righteousness, here's what's going on in the conscience of a person. Through Jesus, the cross and the resurrection, the atonement for sin, all your failures, all, your, all that you couldn't be under the law of God, all that you could not achieve, is dealt with in the cross and the resurrection. And it's preached to you that Jesus rose from the dead for you. And there's a way to escape this realm of condemnation. It has nothing to do with your achieving this. It has nothing to do with sort of you cooperating with God's grace, and then maybe at some point you'll be declared free. It is the free grace of God declared to sinners because of what Jesus has done. Now, we are not wired for this promise. That's promise. See, that's God in the Old Testament promised a Savior who would do that. And preachers today can promise people that if they believe and sincerely believe, uh, they will be saved. See, that's a promise. Now, that's contrary to how we are wired as individuals and as human beings. We are wired for law. This means that we have an instinct for obedience, uh, obedience achieved, and then reward given. We're wired for law. We are not wired for promise. Gospel comes as proclamation. Gospel doesn't come as, well, here are the instructions. All right, are you ready? Here are all the instructions. No, all the instructions were obeyed by Christ he perfectly obeyed them, and now I have something to proclaim to you, the good news. If I give you just instructions, there is no good news. No good news. So, here's what, why Paul is so desirous to protect the gospel. It's for many reasons. For one, it is a pastoral concern for the Galatians. It means they are going to now lose their freedom in Jesus and they're going to become slaves again. Slaves to law-keeping. 
slaves to the tyranny of never being enough, of having a Savior who can only do enough, and now the burden is upon them to continue doing something to merit the acceptance of God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, preached in his little region of Germany for some 20 years. Can you imagine having Martin Luther as your preacher? That'd be kind of cool. Martin Luther preached in his little area of Germany for about 20 years, and then some in his congregation uh, were getting close to death, and he would come and counsel them and pray with them, visit them, and this is what the great reformer, preacher of justification by faith alone, discovered about his own people in his own church. They would begin to plead with him and plead with God that they could some way get off this deathbed. And if God would do that miracle, they would reform their life. In other words, they would be good. If they would just, if God would just come through, they realize they owe God a debt, they should be more moral, see? And so they were working a deal with God. As Luther heard this, that might sound kind of normal for us, right? Kind of working a deal with God. As Luther heard this, he was deeply troubled that works righteousness as a a way of standing before God, of working a deal with God that his own people had not understood the gospel. That you you could build with your life 400 hospitals and you'd still need Jesus to live a perfect life for you. You would still need a Savior to fulfill all of God's law. That is not about your conforming to the the moral standards of God. You'll never do that. You need a Savior to do that and to enjoy his finished work, enjoy his cry from the cross. It is finished. Every major revival that has ever come across the church has always had central to its teaching Justification by faith alone. And you cannot just say in your heart, yeah, yeah, I got it. You got to work at it. You got to work at it, how it applies to your marriage. You got to work at it, how it applies to your opinion about yourself at work. You got to work at it, how it applies to how you're treating your children, your coworkers your view and understanding of everything, now you have a whole new platform to live your life. You are free from the judgments of man. Amen! You're free from the judgments of of anyone who would stand before you and your Savior. No one can mess with your salvation. And if they do they're deserving of a double curse. So this book is for us, you see. This book is full of argument after argument after argument, illustration after illustration after illustration to get people to finally rediscover their joy, rediscover the gospel. 
And there is no joy in just moral reform. There is no happiness on that treadmill. And so Luther saw works righteousness as a tyrant. As a tyrant. Think about that. Think about that. And then he said, and I'm not sure where he did this in his, I want to find out when in his life he said this, but he's talking about, he says here, the gospel, and I love this, this is an old English translation, the gospel willeth me to receive this. That's the gospel. It's just receiving. And to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth consisteth. And then here he says this, most necessary, this is Luther. I'm thinking about him counseling his people in his church. Most necessary it is therefore, preachers, listen to this, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. Luther said that. You know, it's, so it's, it's interesting. So it's not just precision on a particular Sunday morning. It is continual clarity, continual work, continual. May we never, as a church, never grow tired of the gospel, its beauty, its clarity, its application to our lives. Okay, so, all right, so what you have here in Galatians chapter 1 through 4 really is his exhortation and his argument. So you have four chapters of Paul uh, helping the Galatians understand um, the gospel. And I, I just want to get you, I want, I want us to kind of go away with a couple of things here. First of all, I want to make sure that you hear this very clearly. Certainly we need to have our doctrine right. Okay? Doctrine is very important. Well, that's what first 20 minutes here I've been doing. But I want you to also Stop and speak, just say, say this to your heart right now. Look at what my covenant-keeping God accomplished for me. Say that to yourself. Look at what my God did for me. He didn't wait around for me. He didn't give me more instructions. He didn't wait for me to have moral resolve. He sent his son, and I'm watching him do his work. And then another thing about the book of Galatians, if this has already begun to win your hearts, God has given us his authoritative word in the forms of art in a form of argument to win our hearts back and it's it comes with convincing and convicting authority to win you back and to set your conscience at your conscience free set your conscience free i ought to be i should be I will never be. I can't be. All of this language, Paul is going to go after this inward sort of poverty, uh, this inward sense of I'm not enough. And he's going to declare to us that we are adopted sons and daughters of the living God. He's going to go after this self-pity world, this world of the, of the religious flesh where we're trying to look good before others, and he's, he's going he's gonna to slay it. And in order to win our hearts, and then there's going to be another beautiful thing that happens is that this gospel, this powerful, 
stuff that Luther said, beat it into their heads continually so their lives will be aligned to it. Lives will be aligned to it. Is God generous toward you in the gospel? How does that relate to your generosity? Uh, Was God hospitable to you, taking you in as a stranger? Was, Was he hospitable to you? Yes. How does that relate to how you use your apartment or your home? In other words, we, we take God as our pace setter in this gospel, and now we're beginning to line up our lives. It is not easy. It's not easy. It's not something you get, get done in just 10 minutes. Constant work, all the areas of our life. And then it opens up this beautiful, peaceful life. Beautiful, peaceful life. Think of Galatians 5.22. Life in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. People are not my mechanism whereby I'm justified. I can receive feedback. I can receive criticism. It won't destroy me. Through Jesus, I've already received, uh, you know, through God's condemnation, I've already received the ultimate critique of my life, and I survived. Therefore, I now can live in the acceptance of God. People take on a different role in our lives now. Again, the words of Ed Welch, Christian counselor, uh, we need them less, but we can now love them more. And uh, let me just, I want to convince you of, of the gospel's power, and then I'm done. Galatians, I'm just going to say, I'm going to, uh, say aloud a bunch of verses in Galatians that I'm done. I want you to take your life, I want you to take your marriage, take your children, and I want you to listen, and I want you to receive this, and I want you to, I want you to feel the power of these words. I can't explain them all. Some of them will be familiar to you. May it feel like you are loved well. May you sense, even in these words, that that good doctrine actually becomes a personal message to you from God. Listen to the cross and its power. Galatians 2.19 For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Galatians 2.21 I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Notice the complete finished work of Christ. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's for your conscience. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Because Galatians 3.13. Galatians 4.5, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. If I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Galatians 5.21 And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to that. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ.
by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The whole religious systems of the world. All that the world would say we must be, we must do. Paul says, no. This world has not come through in the righteousness that I need, and it's only through Christ. So, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to be, learn how to boast well in the cross. Uh, we're going to provide resources, uh, sermons, uh, books. Uh, how do we so think about the gospel that our hearts are now boasting in it, right? Our hearts are hoping in it. Our, hopes are, our, our hearts are, are anticipating goodness to flow from it. Say, you pray for me. Pray for Nathaniel. Pray for the elders. Pray, pray that we could so believe this that our lives, your lives, would be aligned to it. It's a beautiful process, painful, difficult, hard, but most necessary. What a joyous day that was for me to hear from my coworker that the gospel was no longer a strange phrase used by TV preachers, but that it embodied the very love of God for her. And I'm, that's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for me. Let's, let's pray. Father, show us.